Morning, church. Um, good to see you all here uh, this morning. And when I say see you all here, I mean I hope I can see you uh, soon. Um, hope everyone is doing well. Um, before we jump into the message today, I just want to talk to you a little bit about um, this time and this, uh, what we're, what's happening uh, in our country and what we can really do. And, and, and a lot of people are going out and serving other people. And, and it's great just hearing stories uh, from our church that people are, are uh, giving people money or they're running errands for people. Um, all these amazing, incredible things. And I think that's wonderful and good. Um, but I also want to take the opportunity to really talk about this. And that is, this is a tremendous opportunity for us to be building and deepening our trust in the Lord. And, and some of the ways that we're going to do that is ways that, um, as Americans, we serve well and we're really good at being busy. We're really good at filling up our calendars. Um, but ways that we can develop trust in the Lord uh, during this time is, is a couple of things. One, um, practicing Sabbath rest. Um, to actually take a 24-hour period where you're not doing work. Especially us who are working from home, it's easy for work to kind of just blend into everything. Um, but, but my prayer and my hope for you is that you would take time to just rest in the Lord and understand that he's working uh, when you're not. And that he has this under control even when we feel like we're out of control. And so rest really helps us build a trust um, in the Lord. And the other thing is this, is solitude. Um, not isolation, but time alone with the Lord to be quiet and still um, before him. I think so often uh, we're scared of what we're going to find when we actually start to slow down. But I think this is a wonderful opportunity for Jesus to do a work in your heart and that Jesus can do um, incredible things in bringing about healing and maybe even reconciliation um, as, as the days and weeks uh, progress. And so I would say this, you know, in the middle of serving, in the middle of doing, in the middle of all those kinds of things, that's all wonderful and good. But also remember, take time to rest and rest in the Lord um, and take time to be alone with him. And uh, I think you'll be really surprised and encouraged um, and challenged, uh, but in a good way of, of what he's gonna say to you in the weeks uh, to come. And so, uh, and that we can build that even into a rhythm of our life as well. Um, and, and, and our rhythms, as we think about rhythms, we're going to be continuing on in the rhythm of Ignite Church, and that is we're going to be finishing up Matthew 9 today. Uh, we're going to be uh, finishing up the sermon, and then we are going to start a new sermon next week, a new series. We're going to take a break from the, from the Matthew series, and we're going to uh, take uh, some weeks and talk about uh, what it means to be in Christ. And so the series is called In Christ, and there's that word, those words are used a lot in the, in the scriptures, and we're going to be talking about what does that mean to be in Christ, and I'm really excited. So please stay tuned um, for that as well. But today we're finishing up uh, Matthew uh, chapter 9. And what we've been seeing in Matthew 8 and 9 is that we've, we've seen how God um, has come to this earth and, and through miraculous uh, things and through teaching, we get to see how the kingdom is advancing and that Jesus's kingdom will fully one day be established here on earth. It's this amazing truth. And what we see is the beginnings of that and the teachings that go along with that. And people have... have people People have taken heart of that. People have, have been a part of what God is doing even throughout the years. And, and during, uh, during this year, one of the things I, I did is I, I read a book uh, recently, um, which is pretty exciting for me. Um, reading is good. Um, uh, I, uh, I read a book uh, of, uh, of a Christian named Ludwig, Ludwig von Zinzendorf. Okay, that was the guy's name. 
uh, Ludwig von Zinzendorf. He was a, a German nobility. He lived in the late 1700s, early uh, 1800s. And uh, even though he was German no- nobility, I mean, Ludwig von Zinzendorf, that, that is a name that just like says that kid probably got beat up in school. Um, and the reality is, is he did. Um, that's, that's kind of like what happened to him. That's part of his story is that he was picked on a lot as a kid for his Christian faith. And that was one thing that God used to just strengthen him uh, throughout this. And so uh, Ludwig von Zinzendorf, well, later known as Count Zinzendorf because he was part of the nobility, um, he, uh, he had land and he had a castle and he had all these different places. But what, what he found out was that there was these Christians from uh, the land of Moravia that were fleeing religious persecution. They were being killed. They were being, uh, their houses were being burned. Uh, they were being starved. They were being fired from their jobs because of their faith in Jesus and, and how they walked that faith out. And so uh, these people are migrating uh, through and Count Zinzendorf hears about it and he opens up his land and uses his own money and his own land to start building towns and villages for these Christian refugees in the middle of Christ. I think that's an incredible thing. And we go, wow, that's amazing. He must have been uh, celebrated as a hero, but in the reality is he wasn't. He was, he was reviled uh, by the nobility. He was uh, persecuted himself because of these things, but because he would open his home and open his heart and open his land and open his wallet uh, to Christians in need, um, he did something really heroic that, that a lot of people don't even um, know about. And it came at great cost to himself. And, and he really got to wonder, like, why, why does someone do that? Like, why does someone um, give up nobility? Why does someone give up prestige? Why does someone uh, give up their wealth? Why does someone do all these things? And if you, if you, ask, uh, if you were to ask Count Zinzendorf, or if you were to ask other people who have done rem- remarkable or heroic, I was going to say heroicable, uh, remarkable and heroic, those are two different words, we're going to stick with that. Um, when, when we see people do these amazing, incredible things, um, when you interview them, this is what usually happens is this, is people say, well, it was no big deal. Um, I, I would do what anybody would have done in that circumstance. But the reality is not everyone does that. Not everyone does what they think is normal, what they think is like, well, anybody would have stepped in and, and helped a person in a time of need. Anybody would have risked themselves for the good. Everybody would have stepped in and stood up for someone who couldn't stand up for themselves. But the reality is why it's so remarkable is because not everybody does. And what's amazing about times of crisis is that you really get to see what people are made of. Um, The crisis didn't necessarily forge their character. Their character was already being established and the crisis just made it noticeable. And and it's because these deep entrenched values, these things that they believe and hold to be true and, and important in their life. And as followers of Jesus, we have these things that have been instilled upon us. And that's what we're going to be talking about today. And really the big, the big idea is this, that the heart of the kingdom is the heart of the king. The heart of the kingdom is the heart of the king. That if we're going to be part of his kingdom, then being part of his kingdom, one of the things that we can do is to, be, uh, is to share his heart in this. And how, how values start to take shape and get woven into the deep fabric of our soul um, often is this is, is because we belong to something. Like if you were a family member, if, you, if, you were, if your family was, you know, you're part of a family, so you belong to this family. And, and growing up, like one of my family values was is we help people. 
That's what we do. We help people. And so when you, when you grew up, you were, you, you know, I was Steve Career, and so you're a career. You help people. That's, that's what we do because this is who we are. And, and, and if you've ever been a part of a sports team or a family or a church or whatever, go, this is who we are and this is what we care about. This is what we value because this is who we are. And Count Zinzendorf and others throughout the years were moved by compassion because they belonged to Jesus. They belonged to Jesus and that belonging to Jesus gave them the heart of the king. And so if we're gonna be kingdom citizens that we all wanna be, the heart of the kingdom is the heart of the king. We are a reflection. We are a representation. We are a, a, a carrying out of what the king is like. And so we're going to be talking about what, what our king is like. And so we're going to be in Matthew chapter 9. So if you have a Bible, you can go there. Uh, the words are going to be on the screen um, as well. Um, but we're going to start in verse 35. And the first thing we're going to see about the kingdom of heaven is that it's one of hope. It's one of hope. Um, verse 35. And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. That Jesus went through the, through the cities and the villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. This is a reiteration of Matthew chapter four, actually. We see this at the end of chapter four, and now we see it again at the end of chapter nine, that Jesus going out, healing people, teaching in their synagogues about the kingdom of heaven. We see this over and over again, that this is kind of this, and don't forget, this is what Jesus does. He teaches about the kingdom of heaven, and he's healing people. He's healing people. And what I think is amazing is that um, he goes to the cities and the villages, like, don't miss that. Like, it's really easy to kind of just skim through when he went to the cities and the villages. No, he went to the cities and the villages. He went to both places. He went to the big places where there's the booming metropolis, right, where there's lots of people. But he also went to these outposts, these, these rural areas, these, these villages. So often as, as, as human beings, we want to pit those two against each other, villages and cities, right? Like villagers think that like people who live out in rural areas, like those city folk have lost touch with what's really important, right? And you got you to come out of the city and you got to like land in one of these villages so you can find who you are and understand what really matters in life, right? I mean, that is, that is the storyline of every Hallmark movie ever made right? Every Hallmark movie ever made is the big city guy or the big city gal has to go back out to the village to understand what's really, really important, right? Because we hold the value. We hold the line. Whereas you got people in the city who look at people in the country and think that they're country bumpkins, right? Like they don't know anything. They're uneducated. They're unsophisticated, right? Even the word pagan, by the way, the word pagan, the original meaning of the word pagan means country dweller, Right? And so, so the, the message of Jesus eventually got out to these rural areas, but before, like, oh yeah, the pagans, right? And so people would look at that and go, they're unsophisticated, and they don't know anything, and they're uneducated. But Jesus doesn't make this distinction, and Jesus doesn't pit these two against each other. Um, the message of Jesus is relevant in the city, and it's relevant in the village. That it's one of hope, that there's, there's people that in the city, and there's people in the village that need healing. There's people in the city and there's people in the village that need to know about the kingdom of heaven. And Jesus, nothing's too big for Jesus, right? There's, there's, no, there's no light too big for Jesus and there is no place too obscure or too small 
And I want, I want you to take hope in that because if, if you're even here today um, and you're thinking about these things and you're like, you know, I, I feel lost and obscure, know that Jesus sees you. Or if you're like, I am so far out in this place and I don't feel like I relate to anybody else, know that Jesus sees you. If you're like, I got so much going and then if anybody knew that I needed something, I would be, I would be destroyed um, because I have this persona. I know that Jesus sees your heart. And that Jesus went to the cities and he went to the villages. And he taught about the kingdom of heaven and he, taught, and he healed people. And what's interesting about healing is this, is that, is that you know, when it comes to physical healing and we get to see some of these other things like death and disease and affliction, why does he heal? Um, because death and disease and affliction are the effects of sin in the world. And the kingdom of heaven is free from sin and free from the effects of sin. That he's communicating to something to us in the middle of all of this, that there's a kingdom that's coming. There's a kingdom that Jesus is the king of. And in his kingdom, there is no sin. There is no effects of sin. And he's communicating to us even now going, when the kingdom is fully established, what, what we know in part right now, we will see one day face to face and we will see it in whole. What it means to be completely free of the effects of sin where there's no more disease, there's no more decay, there's no more affliction, and there's no more death. And as a follower of Jesus, we can have hope and we can understand this because this is what we know. We know that this world is not all there is. That this is not the end. That this is just merely the beginning. And that our eternity that awaits us is forever with King Jesus in a kingdom, his kingdom, free of sin. Free of all sin and all the effects of sin. That there's a better future that waits for us. And the thing that's so hopeful is that none of us who are followers of Jesus are any better than anybody else. That everybody is welcome into the kingdom of heaven if you humble yourself before Jesus. Doesn't matter where you've been, doesn't matter what you've done. There's a better kingdom that awaits us. And I hope and pray that, that you would see Jesus as your king. He's the God of hope. The other thing that we see in this is that the kingdom of heaven is one of compassion. One of compassion. Verse 36. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. While Jesus is definitely concerned about the physical condition of people, he is more concerned about people's spiritual state. He's moved by their spiritual state, that he, is, that he was moved by compassion. He saw the crowds and he had compassion. The word compassion here means like your heart goes out to somebody. Have you ever, have you ever felt that way? And does that surprise you about God, that his heart would go out to people? Like he's not irritated. He's not angry with these people. His heart actually goes out to them. He has compassion on them. He's like, oh, if you, if you only knew, if you only, like I see what's going on in your life. You're harassed and you're helpless. Does it, does it surprise you that God has compassion for lost people? That his heart goes out 
to lost people. Does your heart do the same? You know, one of the things that I, I've heard throughout the years of Christian leaders at times pray this prayer, God, break my heart for what breaks yours. God, break my heart for what breaks yours. God, would you give me your heart? Because the heart of the kingdom is the heart of the king. God, would you give me your heart for lost people? When you see the crowds, when you see the groups of people, are you moved by compassion? Jesus is. Jesus is because he sees their spiritual state. He sees them harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. They're harassed. Like, like have you ever seen sheep without a shepherd? No one to guard them, no one to protect them, no one to guide them, no one to lead them. Like what happens is they start to scatter and predators uh, come in because they're, they're lunch right? And so the wolves will come in and they'll harass the sheep. They'll, they'll toy with the sheep. They'll, they'll run them ragged. They'll be confused and crying out and they don't know which way to turn. And the wolves just continue to circle in after they've worn out the sheep. They're harassing them. Or they get stuck on crags of rocks or they, they, they get stuck on cliffs and they don't know what to do. They're, they're helpless. And so they just cry out. And when Jesus sees lost people, this is what he sees. And his heart is moved with compassion because he sees that these people are vulnerable and they have no hope and they're harassed and they're confused and they're helpless. Last year about this time, we were going through a sermon series where we learned that Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. He's like, I'm a good shepherd. Would you follow me? I can lead you into paths of righteousness. I can lead you into joy. I can lead you into eternal life. I am a shepherd. I am the good shepherd. I won't steer you astray. I will be with you always. Would you just come to me and I will gather you in and I will lead you. But so often what happens in our world and so what happens even in our own lives and what's been happening really since the Garden of Eden is that we see Jesus as the good shepherd, but we say, I'm gonna go my own way. I don't want to submit my life to you. I don't want to have you lead me. I wanna go my own way. You are inconvenient to my plans, Jesus. You're gonna change things and I got an idea and I got a plan and I wanna go that way. And over and over and over and over again throughout history, we see this all the time. And throughout the scriptures, we see it as well. People turning away from the good shepherd saying, I'm gonna do my own thing. One of the most terrifying scriptures in the Bible to me is the end of Judges chapter 21 where we see uh, the end of the Israel is forming as a nation. They've, they've gone out of the Exodus and, and they keep on getting harassed by their enemies and God would raise up leaders and help them, but, but they'd always cycle back into this, I don't want God to be my shepherd. And at the end of Judges, it says something really terrifying. It says, in those days, Israel had no king. Everyone did what was right in their own eyes. Basically, they're saying, Hey man, you do you, whatever makes you happy. Truth is relative. You do what's right in your own eyes. And because they've been doing that and, and they made themselves vulnerable to attacks from enemies. And so often we do that as well. But Jesus' heart goes out to us 
Jesus' heart has gone out to you. It's gone out to me. He says, come be in part of my flock. I will be your shepherd. And the kingdom of heaven is one of, one of compassion. It's one of hope. And it's one of humility. Verses 37 and 38. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out his laborers into the harvest. He said, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. That the harvest is plentiful. This is talking about people. Okay, so we switch from shepherd sheep um, kind of imagery to now harvest farmer uh, imagery, that, that people are, the harvest is plentiful. There are many people out there who will give their lives to Jesus. The fields are ripe. We're ready to go. The harvest is plentiful. The workers are few. Listen, there are more people in the world today that need Jesus than there are those who have Jesus. There are more people in the world today that need Jesus than those who have Jesus. And the harvest is plentiful. The harvest is plentiful. I, uh, I, I recently got a message from a man who is doing uh, church. He's, he's leading churches in a place of the world that it is so illegal, so illegal to do uh, church, to be, to be a Christian, so illegal. And we got word from him recently that they've baptized 12 people this week and they've opened more churches. That although the law of the land says this is illegal, the harvest is plentiful. In our, in our area, in our region, just so you know, uh, Moorhead, Minnesota is in Clay County. And Clay County, in the last census, 40% of Clay County, 40% of Clay County said, I have no religious affiliation. Not I, not I kind of go to church or yeah, I'm a Christian or you know, I'm there on Christmas and Easter or I go to the mosque or I go to, like I, none. 40% say I have zero religious affiliation. 40%, thousands upon thousands of people in our county alone. The harvest is plentiful. There's not enough workers. There's not enough workers. The workers are few. We need more people to be engaged in the work of the harvest. We need more pastors. We need more evangelists. We need more missionaries. We need more lay people to step up and, and minister to people. But what's really interesting in all of this is Jesus is says, he says, listen, the harvest is plentiful. The workers are few. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to pray. I think that's amazing. I want you to pray. I want you to pray that God would send out more workers. Not do more, not try harder, not get your act together, not your B-rate Christians. He says, no, you need to pray. You need to pray earnestly. You need to pray earnestly that God would raise up more laborers. Why would we do that? Like we're a people of action, right? So why would we stop and just pray? One, because Jesus tells us to. Um, and the other thing is because prayer is the action. In this instance, prayer is the action. And God says, 
pray. Why? Because if God raises up the workers, God gets the credit. It's his kingdom built his way, not our kingdom built our way and we'll give lip service to him. Maybe we'll give him a little plaque on the side of our our little kingdom, right? Help donated by God. But what we see is God saying, pray. Pray earnestly. Pray fervently. Cry out. Spend time in earnest, praying that God would send out more laborers into his harvest. It's something all of us can do. It's something all of us should do. And as you pray, as you pray four things, you're going to see probably four things start to happen. These may happen. Number one, you will start to see the spiritual condition of people around you. You're going to see the spiritual condition of people around you. You're going to start to see lost people the way that God sees them. Number two, you may need to send out friends or family to a different part of the world, a different part of the country, a different part of our city, because God has been raising them up. That may happen, that you're going to have to send your sons or daughters or your cousins or your roommates or your best friend to a different part of the world because God is raising them up. Number three, you actually might see that you might need to move or make transition in your life in order to be obedient to the call of Jesus on your life. And number four, when we start to pray this prayer, you're gonna start to hear stories of people giving their lives to Jesus. You're gonna start hearing the stories of these incredible things of life transformation and people, uh, families being restored and people humbling themselves and countries and nations humbling themselves before a God that is wonderful and great and yet near us in the middle of suffering that we're gonna see and hear the stories of God doing incredible things. If we start praying this prayer, you're gonna start seeing this, the spiritual condition of other people. You're going, to, you're going to may have to send people out that you love into the work because the work is great. You might have to do that yourself and we're all gonna to start to hear about what God is doing in and around us and around different parts of the world. Church, what if, what would, What's the Jesus movement going to look like 10 years from now if we took this time to pray earnestly that God would send workers into the harvest? What, what is the church going to look like worldwide and what are the churches going to look like in our city? Because this is what God wants us to do. He wants us to pray earnestly that he, we would send workers, that he would send workers into the harvest That's God's heart. God is a God of hope. God is a God of mercy. God is a God of justice. God is a God of compassion. And what we see in this scripture that the heart of the kingdom is the heart of the king. And so maybe we start by praying, God, would you give me your heart? Would you give me your heart on this? Because it's about hope. Because we live in brokenness now, but there's something better that awaits us that it's a kingdom of compassion, that we see 
lost people as harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. And when we point people to Jesus, they're led into deeper joy and an eternal home. And it's a, it's a kingdom built on humility that we want God to build his kingdom his way. The task is great. The workers are few. Which means this is bigger than you. But it's not bigger than God. And so let's go to the one who can send out more laborers into the harvest, even now. There's no conditions on these things. God works in and through all things, including times of crisis. And if you want that in your life, if you're like, I want those values, I want those woven deep into me, how does that happen? It's about belonging to God. It's about confessing our sin. And even followers of Jesus, we have time to confess our sin and say, you know, God, I, I don't share your heart on this. Would you, would you give me your heart on this? And if you're not a follower of Jesus, you're like, God, would you give me your heart? And I want to live with you eternally. It's about confessing where we fall short. It's about repenting, about turning away from those things and turning to Jesus. And it's about trusting in him to lead you forward. And so it's just real easy to be able to talk to God. But it takes a work of God to change our heart. But he can do it. And he can change your heart. He's changed my heart. And he's changed hearts of billions of people worldwide throughout the years. The harvest is still plentiful. The workers are still few. The kingdom is about hope and compassion because the heart of the kingdom is the heart of the king. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much for today. I thank you for this opportunity. And Lord, today we're gonna take this moment, we are going to pray earnestly. God, would you please, please, please send out workers into your harvest? Would you be raising people up during this time? Would you be equipping them and helping them move forward? Would you unleash your church on the world so that the, the, the kingdom of heaven can advance and the message of the kingdom of heaven, one of hope, one of justice, one of mercy, one of compassion. God, we live in, in dangerous times here on earth, but we know that this is not our eternal landing spot. What will be is when we're with you face to face. And we want so many more people, billions of more people to be a part of the kingdom where we can celebrate you and sing, worthy are you, O God. We love you so much. And we thank you for this opportunity to share your word together. In Jesus' mighty name, amen.